0: One thing I must say, I'm grateful to my husband for kicking me out of the house with nothing except the clothes on my back, and you won't believe it, with only 750 rupees in my bank account, which is less than 10 pounds, but a billion dollar worth of dreams and a trillion dollar worth of self-esteem once I start building it up.
1: Vandana Shah is one of India's biggest female divorce lawyers, as well as the author of the bestseller X-Files. She is also a columnist and social entrepreneur. Vandana was part of the BBC documentary Invisible Women of India. I loved chatting with Vandana for this episode of Masala Podcast. She is powerful. She is such a supporter of women and she's incredibly funny too. Oh, Sharam, me, chi chi. I'm Sangeeta Pillai, and this is The Masala Podcast, a Spotify original where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some incredible women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. I'm with Vandana Shah. Vandana, welcome to the Masala Podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure.
1: Vandana is a very high profile lawyer, award-winning author. She's been on several uh, media outlets like the BBC and a lot of other places. Vandana, tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: So currently, thanks to, to Where My Life Is, I am an author. You know, I am just in the process of writing my third book. You know, I am also a lawyer. I handle a lot of high profile um, celebrity divorce cases, if you would like to know. And, you know, which uh, also means Bollywood. It also means big industrialists. But, you know, uh, another part of me will always, my heart will beat for the people who cannot afford good lawyers, And I do a lot of pro bono work. And as part of my pro bono work, I also run a support group for people going through divorces. It was uh, India's first non-judgmental, and I want you to know that it's non-judgmental support group for people going through a breakdown of marriage. And um, I also write, like I said, you know, and uh, I write for Huffington Post. Uh, I've contributed a few articles for BBC. I have also uh, written for, you know, numerous publications, in Pascard, Thrive, you name it. So that's like a whole load of articles. So currently, this is where life has, uh, has placed me. So these are the things I'm doing currently.
1: So, Vandana, can you tell us a little bit about what brought you on this journey to becoming a divorce lawyer? Because uh, I know it's a little bit personal for you.
0: Yes, uh, thank you for asking me. And, uh, you know, I actually started my life as wanting to be an advertising executive. I studied advertising and marketing at Xavier's. And prior to that, I also studied uh, psychology and uh, Then you know, like all Indian girls, I was uh, uh, I um, was sort of told to get married. And uh, since I wasn't really seeing anyone, well, actually I was, but I was ditched. So you know, so uh, everybody said, now you need to get married, and we will make the choice. So I got married into a really wealthy family in India, and uh, that is when a part of my life journey started which I never ever imagined. You know, the marriage was um, highly abusive. It was uh, not only physically abusive, it was also mentally and emotionally abusive. I had zero self-esteem. You know, today I am talking to you like this, but can you believe it? When I was married, they told me I couldn't even speak properly. And, you know, I used to, it was so sad. I used to sit and rehearse those sentences in my mind. Oh, it was, I'm getting goosebumps as I say this. It was so sad. I used to rehearse before talking. And it was even sadder for me because I came from a family which really encouraged us girls to be equal to men. And there was no question of inequality. And, you know, I was... Um, I was a state level debate and declamation, um, uh, you know, champion and I used to write poetry and I used to be a great elocutionist and I used to do drama and arts and ironically, I used to also be um, an RJ and all of this went bust in that marriage. And, uh, you know, the the journey was so traumatic. And one thing I must say, I'm grateful to my husband for kicking me out of the house with nothing except the clothes on my back. And you won't believe it, with only 750 rupees in my bank account, which is less than 10 pounds, but a billion dollar worth of dreams and a trillion dollar worth of self-esteem once I start building it up. My divorce lasted for 10 years. I remember telling my lawyer, you know, I don't think once, uh, uh, once when my in-laws had served uh, the divorce petition uh, on me, and I told my lawyer, I don't think we need to go about this way. I think this is what we should do. What do you think? So she was really dismissive of me. And she said, you know what? You're not a lawyer. When you become one, then you give me your inputs. And I just thought in my mind, hey, you know, I know I'm not a lawyer, but that doesn't mean I'm not intelligent enough or not hardworking enough. So I said, you know what, I'm going to become a lawyer now. And that is the time during the course of this breakdown of this dastardly marriage. In the middle of it all, my being an Air Force officer's kid just resurfaced. And I said, I'm going to study law. It took me a really long time to complete my course because, you know, it was hard and I had very little money. I had to do odd jobs to put together things, but I completed it. And I um, I actually completed my law whilst my divorce was going, going on. And the day I got the, the decree was... A month later, I got my exam result and I had cleared, you know. So I think those are really, really significant things which happen to you. And, you know, like I said, you really don't know where life's going to take you. And, um, uh, you know, we all came from this family background where you just had to be brave and conquer the world and nothing could keep you down. And, you know, you you were just you just got on with the job. You know, so I think that's where I decided that, okay, I'm just going to be a lawyer. And and uh, I saw a number of women in my position and uh, I said, I think I need to help these women. And that's where my journey as, uh, um, as a true lawyer commenced, you know, and I never ever forget that there are a lot of vandanas out there, you know, and uh, I never forget that. So however much I may grow, I still keep in mind that there's someone out there who needs my help and who can who can benefit and, uh, you know, make a new life for herself.
1: That's really inspiring, Vaduna. And I think it's an important thing for all of us to hear. So thank you so much for sharing. I wonder if we could talk about what marriage means in South Asian culture, in our culture. What does it what does it mean?
0: I think marriage is the ultimate life goal, even now, in this day and age. You know, once you're married, everything else is forgotten or forgiven. You know, so everybody knows you as Mrs. So-and-so. Why should you be a Mrs. So-and-so? You know, I mean, you always question that why can't he be a Mr. So-and-so, which is your surname? You know, so I think the marriage is the, not the journey. It is the ultimate culmination. Once you achieve that, I mean, you have attained nirvana in this country. And if you are married to a rich, rich man, especially for women, oh my goodness, you know, it's a, it's a double nirvana. And it's this whole, the physical manifestation, like I always say in marriage is a band Baja Bharat which is essentially, you know, a lot of halabu around the whole culture of marriage. And everybody is in your marriage. You know, the whole world is in your marriage. And I think that in itself is what marriage means. And, you know, they always say to women that, you know, you need to shut your previous life when you come into this life. So it is kind of like a rebirth where you are part of your husband's family and your previous life in a way ceases to exist and not much has changed in the past 40 50 years or even from what you hear earlier you know so the aim is to get a nice rich guy have children and that is the end of your life that is what you were born to do but i'm afraid you know they didn't bargain for women like us (laughs) they didn't (laughs) absolutely you know so it's (laughs) so we are trying to change that one tiny step at a time
1: yeah there was something really interesting you said uh, when we spoke on the phone the last time and you were saying you know how women are geared to marriage, like from the minute we're born, we're just brought up to be marriage. And then marriage is, is kind of presented as this kind of answer to all of life's problems. I, I remember you saying to me, are you depressed? Get married. Is there a recession? Get married. I thought it was quite funny and really poignant and really apt, you know, in our society.
0: That's true. You know, it's uh, like I said, you know, um, uh, uh, by uh, by Indian standards, I'm uh, I'm extremely fair. So, you know, the whole thing is that every time my uh, my aunts would come over, my mother's sisters, they'd say, oh, you'll not have any problem in getting married because you're fair. So, you know, so the whole thing is, if you're fair, you're lovely. You know, and uh, uh, you've achieved uh, some kind of uh, uh, sort of um, genetic bonanza. It's like a lottery. You know, oh, yeah. you're so lucky or fair. I mean, I could have the worst features on earth. You know, it's another thing I don't. But the thing is that I could have like horrible features. But if I'm fair, everything is forgiven. And, you know, it's marriage is recession proof. You know, uh, people are getting married during, um, during the COVID also. People are getting married in the lockdown. People are desperate to get married. It's one of those things that you need to... It's like a, like a high-calorie meal. You need to taste it. You know, you, it may be good or bad for you, but you need at least a bite of it. And um, it's definitely seen as uh, the ultimate achievement. And uh, also it's seen as a solution to all your problems. And, uh, you know, it's the same with children. And I remember when my mother, you know, um, when um, they were growing up, they had a cousin who was, well, you know, euphemistically putting not very nice looking and she had a bad nature too. So my mom used to joke with me, you know, when she was getting married and they were exchanging the garlands. She said all the cousins at the back kept on muttering in Hindi, which I will translate in English, that uh, now my problem is your problem. Now my problem is your problem. Now my problem is your problem. I mean it was brutal so it was like they got rid of the cousin now she was the husband and his family's problem crazy you know so mm-hmm. it's uh, it's one of those things that everyone in the south uh, east asian culture and the south asian culture needs to do and uh, you know you get about it you're preparing for it from uh, day 1 and um, uh, you better achieve that that's one finish line you need to cross And uh, if you beat Usain Bolt in that, well, you're applauded. So the younger you get married, the better off you are. The better.
1: (laughs) I got divorced a few years ago. That's when I started thinking about the fact that there wasn't any space for divorce in our culture. We all love a big Indian wedding, there are pre wedding rituals. Haldi ceremonies and games where we hide the groom's shoes and demand money to return them. There are elaborate wedding ceremonies and five day long feasts. There are wedding dances and silly games for the guests. But that's where it ends. What happens when a marriage finishes? When we go down the divorce route, There is literally nothing in our culture for that. It is like something we all have to do, isn't it? Like that's what we're we're trained to do, particularly as a woman. If you're not married, like what is your worth? You know, nothing is kind of what we're told, isn't it? Subliminally and overtly, actually.
0: And they also ask you, what happened? Why aren't you getting married? You know, do you have a boyfriend? Are your parents not agreeing? Should I talk to them? You know, but uh, what? And all careers are just written off. You know, even if you work 12 hours a day, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I've am i written two books. My third book, I'm writing. Uh, that's also done. The fourth one is also done, you know. But it's something that I'm doing to keep myself busy, you know. <laughs> it is not a career. But if I get married, that's a full-time career. You know, I, I had cousins and all giving me these vague errands saying... No, 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 you can do it. You know, you're not married. So the implication being that, you know, basically you're useless. It's like you're half a papaya, you know, and the bad part of the papaya, which is like, uh, just like the cover of the papaya which you can't eat or the the seeds which you can't eat. So uh, you need to get married. You're defined by marriage. See the way we even change our surname. You know, when I refuse to change my surname, saying that it's it's not really the law, you know, that I need to change my surname, but uh, they say, oh, you know, your passport it will be a nightmare, bank accounts it'll be a nightmare, PAN card it'll be a nightmare. I say, but it gives my father's name. You know, it doesn't take away from that. But no, everything it is like you know, a long time ago in the Manusmriti, they said you become a chattel. Women are chattel. You are defined by your ownership. And not only in, in smaller towns, but even in big cities, it's the same. And make no mistake, in a lot of wealthy families, this still persists and they still have this, this horrendous concept of, I'm going to use the Hindi word for that and I'll explain it, of kharchi. You know, which means like a pocket money that you give a woman for running the house. It's like, why would you do that? I mean, and I know super rich families who are doing that to their daughters-in-law day in and day out. And I mean, the women don't have a choice. And if they ask for money separately, they say, oh, but we provide for everything. Why do you need uh, money for what? You know, I may just want to go to Paris and have a cupcake. I need money for that. And I don't need to take my mother-in-law's permission for that. So it is, everything is controlled. And especially in marriage, your um, identity is expected to disappear, if not merge. And uh, financially, um, basically, you control nothing. So that is where I think the big kicker comes in.
1: So if marriage occupies this massive space in our lives, where does divorce fit in in our culture?
0: Uh, you, you, know, you do know that I'm evil, right? Because I'm a divorce lawyer. You know? <laughs> so I have people who troll me on Twitter and uh, also send me nasty messages on Facebook saying that you are causing divorces, you know? And, and they believe it. And they say you are bringing Western culture into the country because divorce is not an Indian concept. Yes. I go to gatherings. You know, and uh, the minute people find out I'm a divorce lawyer, uh, I'm the one who they want to talk in corners to. And they'll, you know, they'll discuss. Actually, you know, my friend is going through Not this. Me, of, course my I, friend. of course, I know it's you, you know. So <laughs> how do you know about your friend's sex life so much? You know, how do you know about her internal feelings that she felt devalued? Come on. You know, so divorce pretty much has, has no place in our life. We like to pretend divorce is the emperor's new clothes, you know, till a divorce lawyer comes out and says, hey, the emperor's not wearing clothes, which actually means, hey, your marriage is broken. You need to take an action. And, you know, not much has changed. I mean, I've spoken to so many women during the course of my research for my books. And, uh, you know, divorce in the 50s, It still quite resembles divorce in the 90s. The 90s divorce resembles divorce as in today, as in 2021. Not much has changed. There's still quite a bit of stigma. And uh, the worst is the lack of preparedness for divorce, you know. And I, I keep telling people that, you know, look, divorce is here to stay. So better get your divorce kit out and start prepping You know, you I mean, like it's like you take life insurance, not that you don't expect to uh, to uh, live a long life. But what happens if something happens, you know, so I tell people get real, you know, it's here to stay.
1: Absolutely. And it's not like a cultural thing. Relationships work or don't work. It's not like, you know, South Asian culture. We don't have divorce or we don't we don't have unhappy marriages. They exist everywhere. You know, so divorce should exist everywhere as an option.
0: Um, but, you know, that's the whole thing. In India, marriage is meant to last for seven lifetimes. You know, so if you remember a lot of our parents' marriages and, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, during their time, I, I'm not talking specifically about our parents, but marriages during their time. I mean, sometimes you just knew that this aunt and uncle are really um, not really together. But, you know, everyone just zipped up and never spoke about it. You know, so it's not like unhappy marriages didn't exist then. They existed even then. But it's now that where we have chances to make a difference, you know, that people say, oh, but the option shouldn't shouldn't exist. It's like, why would you not have options?
1: As a young girl growing up in India, I was being trained for marriage from the time I was old enough to talk. I'd be told things like, when you're married, you can do that. Or, of course you can travel the world if you find a husband with an international job. I could hear women tell their daughters, if you act like that, no one's going to marry you. So marriage was the ultimate goal for every girl. Boys were being trained for futures filled with big money and massive success. Girls were being trained for one thing only, marriage. This is the message we still give millions of young South Asian women. It's not important whether you're a CEO, whether you've scaled mountains, whether you've saved lives. The bigger question is, are you married? So, Vantana, I'd love to hear from you. Um, how do you think divorce affects us as women, as South Asian women in our culture?
0: You know, I think because there is so much of drama around marriage, it's the same around divorce. You know, I call the divorce drama as the, you know, this band Baja Bharat, which I said earlier. So it is doom dharaka divorce, which means like a boom boom in divorce. It is Never, ever easy. You know, because you don't have money. You're financially you're tied down. You know, you are absolutely in no position to dictate your terms. A lot of times the families don't support you. You know, um, nobody wants their un- unmarried sister because now you're unmarried for all practical purposes. Coming back home to share in, in the family, let's say for the lack of another word, in the family kitty. Plus there is so much of stigma And there is so much of shame because remember, our parents were born in different times where you were married for seven lifetimes, you know. And now, I mean, you have people who may not be able to stand each other for seven minutes, you know. So how does one deal with that? It is always tough. But like I I tell women, you know, have your divorce kit ready. You know, have your set of friends. Have some kind of a job to do, you know, which pays you know, which can put you back on your feet. And have people in your life who are non-judgmental. You know, have some kind of money saved for a rainy day and do your research. If you feel your marriage is on the rocks, do your research, you know, ask around who's a good divorce lawyer. You can actually go to the family court and ask around who's a good divorce lawyer. And most importantly, start upgrading your skills.
1: you think there's still stigma attached to divorce for women in 2021
0: in india for sure like i said that you know everybody thinks uh, divorce lawyers are the devil's incarnate i am forcing people to get get divorced that's what everybody feels you know so uh, and if you see our divorce rate let me just tell you although In the past 10 years, uh, since since I've started noting, you know, earlier, there used to be about 300 cases a day in the family court, you know, about 20 or 30 cases per floor, which means seven floors. So you were looking at 140, 200, 250, 300, you know, and some of them are repetitive, you know, so the same person can have three cases, let's say, you know, maintenance and so on and so forth. Now, today, there are 80 cases, 90 cases a day per floor, you know, so... Divorce rates are growing. Our infrastructure, recently the family court, they wrote to the high court saying, you need to help us to cope because our infrastructure is very poor. Uh, we need to get on to more of virtual courts, you know. So you have, uh, I had a date um, on the 17th of April, three clients matters. I've got a date in November now. And these matters uh, never got heard because of the situation we are in today and the court has just given us dates without hearing us. That means that poor person has to wait for almost six months. Give me a break. It's more than six months. Why can't we have matters which go in for arbitration and mediation? You know, and all this is because it is only in India where you go for a divorce and the judge says, why don't you think of reconciliation? I have had a case which has gone on for six to seven years. We are in the middle of the cross and suddenly the judge, it tells the husband that, you know, if you were still with your wife, then after six, seven years of separation, you know, you wouldn't have to just come back home or eat from Tiffin's or give her money for managing the house you know, you'd give her your entire salary. And he tells the wife, you wouldn't be standing here asking for just bits and pieces of money. You know, he'd come home, you'd give him a cup of tea. He'd hand over his entire salary to you. Why don't you all patch up? And uh, he told both the lawyers, I don't want you all to say anything. So we are just quiet. And suddenly the husband and wife say, okay, we can give it a try. So, (laughs) So after seven years of a marriage, which is in court basically a marriage in court which means you're going through a divorce you suddenly decide to patch up you know i mean it's 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 beyond belief it's surreal it's it's kafkaesque so we are a country which is geared for marriage are not
1: divorce marriage
0: market is you know our wedding planning it is it is maybe close to a 5 billion dollar industry compare that with divorce In divorce, we are not even looking at $100 million. And let me tell you, it's not me who's saying this from a social perspective, even from a socio-legal perspective. You know, the Supreme Court says that marriage is sacrosanct in India. There is a Supreme Court judgment for the same. That is why we also have a section, which is Section 9 of the Hindu Marriage Act, which talks about RCR, which is the most dreaded section, according to me, which is restitution of conjugal rights. So you can say, I don't want to divorce. I want my marriage to be restored. So you file for restitution of conjugal rights and you don't agree to divorce. That's why our divorces, for Christ's sake, my divorce lasted for 10 years. And this is just the lower court. So after that, there's high court. I know of one matter that I'm handling and it's come to me much later, but that matter is going on for 18 years in the lower court. And I keep telling that guy, I said, Abhi, you know, enough. Why don't you just call it quits? Because every Diwali, he wishes me, happy Diwali, madam, happy Diwali. And I tell him now next year, you don't have to wish me in court. You know, I just stopped taking fee from him like five years ago. I said, you know what, just let it be. I'll just help you to whatever extent I can. So we are not a country geared for divorce. We are a country all pushing towards marriage. You know, we also have three sessions with a counsellor who tries to convince you in court. Is that
1: part of the divorce proceedings? Yes. Who
0: tries to convince you. It's an enforced counselling session. uh It's mandatory.
1: What is it like, Vandana, to be a female lawyer, a female divorce lawyer in the courts?
0: (laughs) Okay, let me tell you. Firstly, our family courts have a lot of women lawyers because, you know, uh, we call the family court uh, the Rona Dhuna Emotional Court, you know, because (laughs) you need to have that this thing, you know, where you plead poverty that the judge can actually feel the poverty, you know, so it's very, very emotional. It's like a Hindi Bollywood movie. And uh, but having said that, you know, um, I I must admit that sometimes it's a little weird because because uh, you know you have uh, these very old world. Lawyers passing comments on the way you look. You know, uh, like they always say, oh, you know, this is our supermodel lawyer. Please, I am uh, I am nowhere near a supermodel and I think uh, I must be twice the size of Kate Moss, but everybody's twice the size of Kate Moss. You know? <laughs> so, sounds- But, um, you know, so, I, I mean, you know, you can either get angry about it, but I just choose to deal with it with humor. And I say, yeah, yeah, I'm a supermodel. I never went to law school. I went to fashion school. That's where I learned, you know. And he always says that, you know, the judge just looks at you and he gives a judgment in your favor. I said, exactly. You should have gone to the same school as me. You know, that's why you're not doing well. You know, so you get angry But, you I also laugh at their ignorance and, you know, things are changing because now women are um, not putting up with any of it, you know. And uh, you do know that, uh, you know, I do a bit of pro bono work for uh, sexual harassment at the workplace. And I'm uh, a part of the National Commission for Women, which is the highest body for um, uh, helping out women in, in India especially in, uh, in matters related to marital and domestic violence. And I still find that sexual harassment is pretty, pretty rampant. The courts don't make it easy for us. And it is awful because there is no sympathy for women. The, the whole idea is that she brought it upon herself. You know, so we haven't come far in that. And um, there's a matter I'm handling, it's gone right up to the Supreme Court. And now the judge is trying to strike it down, saying that you've only come forward many years later, you know, completely discarding previous judgments would say that, well, hey, you know, there is no time limit for a sexual harassment case. So, you know, you're dealing with a patriarchal society, which thinks that, you know, um, uh, women should be um, uh, sort of A, not working. And if you are working, you do noble professions like, uh, you know, like, like teaching or running a, uh, <laughs> a play school. And, uh, uh, you know, and um, uh, they don't think that if you've been sexually harassed, you should keep quiet. Keeping quiet is the sign of a girl from a good family in India, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, yes, you know, so it's it's um that sort of a thing. And, you know, um, all in all, I don't find that much sympathy for women and for working women and for strong women. There is not a lot of sympathy, you know. Um, like recently, um, I I went through a, a personal turmoil of my own, and you know, some people wanted me to sign some uh, property papers, and uh, that's the time I was I was uh, I was pregnant with in the first trimester, and because they jostled me and everything, and you know, I suffered from a miscarriage. And um, I, um, you know, for for two three months, I was in a lot of depression, and it took me a lot of courage to, to now start talking about it because um, the men are not sympathetic. The cops do nothing. They want want me uh, to bribe them. I won't bribe anybody. You know, I will not do that. You know, so it's a it's a it's not like the courts have have put my case on a fast track. So I find the same for women, you know, who whether you you are raped, you suffer a miscarriage, you are sexually harassed, you are beaten in a marriage. I find that there is this whole thing, and I and I feel so sad for us that, you know, we are we are replaceable and disposable. And it is every aspect of a woman which is like that. And, and I'm saying it from a position of strength, not weakness, you know. I mean, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor, you know. But I just feel that, you know, hey, the judge also, I feel, hey, you know, a little bit of sympathy, you know. And I mean, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not 20 years old, where it's very easy to get pregnant again. But, you know, I'm, I'm not giving up, you know. And maybe next time you'll interview me with the two or three kids running around, you know.
1: Absolutely. Thank you you so much for
0: sharing that. This is like the first time I'm sharing it on a public platform because I want women to take courage from that and say that, you know, you need to speak out. You need to be women's best friends and you need to value and appreciate yourself.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. Then I really appreciate
0: it. So, so here I am, you know, a woman lawyer in India, but um, quite happy. And I'm, uh, if I'm allowed to say, I'm quite happy kicking ass.
1: You know, you are an ass kicker. <laughs> you absolutely are. You know, I was listening to you talk on the BBC, and you had this a passage about how you walk into a court wearing these like four-inch heels and wedges and. You know, and all of these like you're this like rising above everybody else, and I I thought it was absolutely kick-ass, and I thought, oh my god, I like this woman.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just said that. You know, well, uh, I think um, uh, Zara and Elvi are in business because of me. You know, <laughs> and I wear all their good clothes and uh, yeah. and uh, go to court, and uh, you know, and and if I can pick up a couple of Gucci's along the way, I mean, I don't mind. You know, so I wear all these fancy clothes and, and I wear my makeup and everything and go to court because I feel good about myself and I do it for myself. And, you know, I had someone walk up to me in court about a month ago and they said, ma'am, it, it was a lady. And she said, ma'am, if you don't mind my saying, you're the best dressed lawyer I have ever seen in my life. You know, I I just felt so good about myself, you know, that, yeah, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. nice Even in that dreary, dreadful, death-like atmosphere, you are able to bring um, a ray of sunshine, you know, in, in someone's life, you know.
1: And not only are you, it's not just about wearing the clothes, you're going in there and you're like helping women be stronger and move on and create new lives, you know, so that's absolutely, absolutely inspiring. I Thank think. you.
0: And, you know, I just feel that, you know, if we all do our little bit in, look, we are all going to be down at some stage or the other. Look at you, you know, you were just sharing, you've changed your life. And, you know, you're, you're 100% happier for that, you know. And uh, I mean, you know, hats off to you. You know, and really, you know, like a big pat on your Thank back you so and much. hats off to you, you. You know, and uh, I just feel that, you know, if we all did our little bit and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be able to make a difference.
1: Vandana, if you were to give three tips to women who might be in a difficult relationship, marriage and thinking about going down the divorce path, what would it be?
0: Okay, I'd like to extend it to uh, a question even before that, that how do you know your marriage has gone bust? You know, because a lot of times we don't even know that our marriage is not working. You know, I just think your biggest barometer there is your happiness. You know, where you are thinking for yourself. Secondly, if you're thinking that you want to be with your partner and you're happy being with your partner, Your marriage is working. But if you are constantly on the lookout to protect yourself, I think your marriage, it's time to call it quits. I'm not going to go into into deeply abusive marriages. Those marriages, they should be just given up from the day one. Because let me tell you, no one ever stops being an abusive husband. Ever. Never. You know, and I, I joke about it in my book, X-Files, where I say that, you know, if they had, if Mac came out with a cosmetic line for abused women, they'd make a killing, pun unintended, you know, because we were all wearing so much of makeup, you know, because we wanted to hide the bruises, you know, but how do you hide the bruises in your heart? You know, so I just feel that, you know, if you know the marriage is not working, you these are your tips. And when you know the marriage is not working, A start shoring up your resources. And by resources, I mean your friends, your support group. If your family is ready to help, well and good. If they are not, please don't even bother, you know, because families kind of have a very reactionary um, uh, sort of reaction to what you're doing. Secondly, save some money put aside some money if there is a joint bank account and you feel that you have contributed to it even if you feel you haven't contributed to it at least put some money aside for yourself thirdly if you have children start preparing them that you may be having a different life from them you know so, so these are these are the three main things and of course you know always say a hello to the god up above because you will need him or her, you know, <laughs> you know. So I think everything has to be done with some sort of a prayer, whether you pray to a God or a spiritual being or just to yourself or any energy, you know. So these these are the things that I say that that just go ahead and please don't wait. You know, It's life is too short. And before you know it, you know, you're saying goodbye to the world. So just don't wait. The time is now
1: thank you so much that's very very sound and empathetic thank you thank you so much vandana it's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you and have time with you thank you so much for being on masala
0: podcast thank you very much and and it's been re- a real pleasure and all i want to say is to everyone that you know where to contact me but more than that i do want to say that my life philosophy is that it is better to elevate yourself then bring down another. Absolutely. That's beautiful. what I want to end with. And I want to say, this is Vandana Shah saying goodbye to you. And do be in touch. You have my website, which is Vandanasha.com and uh, you have everything. So do do be in touch. I will definitely write back. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode, please head to the show notes where I've listed some information about organizations which can offer help and support. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture to be exactly who we want to be get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website soulsultras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and produced by me Sangeeta Pillai Edited by Orbis the Studio. Opening music by Sonny Robertson. Besharam, Sharam, Bhattamese, Gandhi, Hi Hi, Bad Betty.